The Nats Chat Podcast Party is coming up Friday, October 13th from 6.30 to 8.30 at Walters. Just like last year, we'll be hanging out, chatting baseball, and watching sports. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a fastball, and that retires the side. We'll see if that is how the day will end for Jackson Rutledge over five innings. He strikes out Acuna. Two strikeouts in the inning. 1-0. Swing and a line drive up the middle. It's off the glove of the second baseman, Albies. Deflects out into right center field. Scoring on the play is Alou, and racing for second is Young as Albies just now picks it up in right center. And the Nationals lead 3-1. On 0-2, the kick here it comes. Swing and a ground ball right side. Smith has it into a slide. Pops to his feet. The throw to Finnegan covering is in time. And a curly W's in the books here in game one of the day-night doubleheader. Faces Orlando Arcia. First pitch. Swing and a line drive toward right center field. This is trouble. It's going to get down for a base hit, and it's going to score two. Arcia rounding first. He'll hold as Thomas fires it back in. Riley and Olsen have scored. And the Braves lead 8-4. Now the pitch. Swing and a line drive left center field. Hanging up for Harris. Comes in, makes the catch in left center. And the game is over. It will be a split of the day-night doubleheader. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, September 25th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The home portion of the Nats 2023 regular season is done. 34 and 47 ends up being the record as the Nats ended up losing three or four games to the major league leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. We on Sunday had a doubleheader split Sunday afternoon, a 3-2 win Sunday evening and 8 Five loss. So the Nats now just 8 and 19 over their last 27 games. The record for the regular season 69 and 88. Five games left. Nats need to go at least four and one to avoid 90 losses. There were bright spots for the Nats on Sunday. We're going to focus on those. But Mark, with the home portion of the Nats 2023 season done, we're entering the final week of the regular season. The Nats, like I said, have the five games left. In talking to guys, players in particular. Do you feel like the Nats are ready for this season to be done? Or do you feel like, no, actually, this team is still pretty invested in this season? I think they are probably finally ready for this to be done. They had that really nice stretch there, July and August, as we talked about so much. That long road trip started in Williamsport. It finally ended in Toronto. And I think at the end of that, 
as well as they played and, and they were starting to get national attention and felt like, okay, we've sort of proven that we aren't the 55-win Nats of a year ago. We've taken a step forward. Consciously or not, I think they pulled off the gas pedal a little bit. And ever since then, it's been hard to get it back. Now, I mean, they're not playing horribly. They're in most of these games. The boys battled again in the finale of the uh, doubleheader, brought the tying run to the plate with two outs in the ninth. But I think they've kind of run out of steam and the schedule's gotten tougher. They know that. There's a few personal goals the guys are maybe starting to shoot for here. We saw Lane Thomas get to 2020 on Sunday night. But I, I think deep down they kind of have seen the finish line here for a little bit and probably ready for it. It's been a long year for a lot of them. And I think actually one of the interesting things, and it'll be interesting to see how this develops over time, a lot of these young guys are still getting used to the idea of a six-month season. You don't have that in the minor leagues or in college or high school. And it does feel like these last couple of weeks, they're kind of hitting a wall. And for them to take that next step, if they're going to be competitive, and Davey has mentioned this, you don't have to look at October 1st as the finish line. You got to look at November 1st as the finish line. And that's something a lot of these guys have to start to learn how to keep their bodies fresh through it and their minds fresh through it, understanding it's not just about 162. Ultimately, you want to play even more than that. Yeah. I mean, there very much has been a September swoon. I think a lot of us uh, saw the potential for this to happen. It has happened, but we are seeing at least some decent performances by Nats players over these games. And like I said, I think it's worth highlighting some of those. So game one of this doubleheader on Sunday, the game on Sunday afternoon, the 3-2 win for the Nats. Jackson Rutledge was the Nats starting pitcher and he beat the Braves, at least in terms of uh, how well he pitched and the Nats winning the game. One run, in five innings. This was just Jackson Rutledge's third career major league start. He went out there against, you know, this historically great offense in that of the Braves, and he allowed one run in five innings. He gave up just three hits, a double and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 86 pitches, 52 strikes versus 34 balls. A far cry from what we saw from Rutledge in his major league debut, which was just a few weeks ago. The Nats on September 13th announced that they had recalled Rutledge from AAA Rochester. He made his major league debut that evening, a 7-6 loss at the weak-hitting Pittsburgh Pirates, but Rutledge in that game allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. But his next start, 4-3 win over the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night, two runs in six into third innings, and Sunday afternoon, one run in five innings. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, but boy, if there was a starting pitcher in this series who you wanted to see do well for the Nats, I think it was Jackson Rutledge. And I think all things considered, he did do well in his outing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, he was falling behind in the count. The pitch count got high, and that's why he only went five innings. But you talked about that debut game against the Pirates where he looked a little scared, like a rookie who wasn't totally ready to be there. And in the two starts since, I think he's shown a lot of confidence and poise and he took the mound today feeling like he belonged out there, and he had the results that matched it up. And I think the biggest moment of them all is his last pitch. He's got a runner in scoring position. He's facing Ronald Acuna Jr., having this historic season, gets to a 3-2 count. And he told us that going in, he knew the scouting report on Acuna. He knew what he wanted to do in that situation. They called for a high fastball. That's what he wanted to throw. He said he felt fully confident that if he executed that pitch, he was going to get him. And he did just that. He blew a fastball past him, strike him out. And you saw a little bit of emotion from him as he came off the mound. He's not a guy who seems to show a lot of it, but he did show it in that moment. And to him and, and the interpretation I took from it was that was his, okay, I belong here moment. That's a big thing 
for a young pitcher. Now, you got to see this over time. He's going to face them again next weekend. It'll be interesting to see what adjustments he makes, what adjustments they make against him. But what we've seen here in these last two starts, I think there's a lot to like there. And it maybe you're seeing why they viewed this guy so highly when they made him a first round pick a few years ago. Long way to go, but there does seem to be something there in terms of both the stuff, but also the the confidence and the poise that he takes to the mound. Yeah, I mean, you see him struggle as we saw him struggle at the Pirates in the Major League debut, and you're not sure what to think. I mean, nobody wants to overreact to one outing, but you know, things have not gone smoothly for him in the minors. It has taken him a while to get to the majors. And you say to yourself, I don't know, you know, maybe this guy isn't ready. Maybe this guy isn't going to be what the Nats want him to be. To see him pitch as well as he has pitched his last two outings, I think it's good. And, you know, to whatever extent how he is doing at the major league level in September is going to dictate whether he begins next season in the major league rotation. I mean, if you were going to outline how he pitches is going to warrant him being in the major league rotation to begin next season. It would include something like what he did against the Braves on Sunday afternoon. So I was uh, happy to see that. Well, Mark mentioned Lane Thomas getting to 2020. He has done that. Ronald Acuna may be thinking 40-60, but Lane Thomas at least can say he's 20-20 for this season. 8-5 loss on Sunday evening. Lane as an ad starting right fielder and number two batter. Two for five with a solo homer, a single, and a stolen base. Thomas in an ad's Three-run third, had a two-out first pitch, opposite field single to right field, and a steal of second base, making him the first Nats player to have at least 20 home runs and at least 20 stolen bases in a season since Bryce Harper in 2016. It had been a while, but Lane Thomas has gotten to that plateau, and then Thomas in a Nats one-run ninth, a one-out solo home run to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 8-5. I know that 2020 isn't some impossible achievement, but look, when no one for the franchise has done it in seven years, there certainly is significance to it. And good for Lane Thomas for getting to that more. Yeah. And the only guys who have done it in Nationals history, you got Alfonso Soriano, of course, the 40-40 season in 2006. You had Ian Desmond do it three straight years as a shortstop, 12, 13, and 14. And then, as you said, Bryce Harper in 16. I know people were surprised to see that Trey Turner was not on that list. He came extremely close twice in both 2018 and 2019. He had more than enough steals and he finished with 19 homers. Now, he did end up doing it in 2021, both combined with the Nationals and then the Dodgers, but it doesn't count officially as a member of the Nationals. So it is kind of a rare thing. And I know that the rules have changed this year and maybe that helped Lane Thomas steal a few more bases. But I think it's a pretty legitimate stat for him and his 27 home runs that he has now. And it is, I think in today's game, that power speed combo is becoming more and more valuable. The game is starting to gear itself more towards that. And if you can consistently be somebody who can do those kinds of things, both hit the ball out of the park and when you get on base, take extra bases for your team, I think it's a big thing. I think CJ Abrams is probably going to be a 2020 guy. He's not that far off right now. Lane Thomas has shown that he can be that guy and that there's still room for improvement. So he could be even better than this someday. And, you know, he said it wasn't something that he was actively shooting for. But as you start to get closer, you realize it and you understand that it is something that not a lot of guys have done. And you appreciate that fact. And the fact that he's at 27 home runs on the season and has a shot at 30. I mean, raise your hand if you expected, first of all, any Nationals player to get to 30 home runs this season. But second of all, Lane Thomas. And yet, 
you know, three homers in five games is not likely, but it's also not impossible. Guys do it. And I would love to see Thomas get to that 30 home runs on the season. We'll see what he does over these remaining uh, five games. Thomas uh, for the season, number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 791. Guess who had a really good series in this four-game series against the Braves? Luis Garcia. Garcia in the 8-5 loss on Sunday evening as an ad starting second baseman and number five batter. Three for five with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. All three hits to the opposite field. Garcia in the Nats three-run third, a two-out opposite field, RBI single to left field for a 3 nothing Nats lead. Garcia in the Nats one-run sixth, a one-out opposite field solo home run to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 6-4. Luis Garcia over the four games in this series, 8 for 18 with a home run, a double, and six singles. It had taken him a while to get going off being brought back up to the majors, but the last, you know, five, ten games or so, he's hitting better, and he ended up having quite the series here against the Braves. He did, and good for him for that, and just wonder, like, is it enough? Is it too little, too late to really make a difference as far as how they view him going into the offseason and beyond? I don't know the answer to that yet, but at least you like to see the fact that he is showing you something and that he's not going out with a whimper here with this last opportunity that he's getting since he was called back up from AAA. He battled through some at-bats there, had some good two-strike approaches, actually. He he and they, as a, as a lineup, did a lot better against Spencer Strider than I thought they would. They had a nice stretch there of five straight batters with two out hits to score their runs off of Strider. So that was good. I still want to see some improvement from Garcia in the field. I think there was a moment where he could have gotten Rutledge out of an inning without that run scoring just by making a play to his right that didn't feel like he had to go that far. And something I've definitely felt like watching here lately, the difference in range up the middle between C.J. Abrams at shortstop and Luis Garcia at second is pretty vast. Abrams is making at least one play every night, either to his right or his left, making highlight reel plays. Garcia is not getting the balls that are not nearly as far away from him as the ones they are from Abrams that he's making. That is something they're watching. He's got a lot still to prove, but it is nice to see some signs of life at the plate from him at least, and at least keep himself in their minds as they go into the offseason trying to decide what they're doing at second base. I wonder how much of the range thing was a reason for the Nats telling Luis Garcia to lose weight. Remember, Mike Rizzo on the Sports Junkies flat out said they told Luis Garcia to lose weight, that they thought he was overweight. He's really gotten himself in great shape. He's lost several pounds, which which was uh, one of the uh, things that we wanted him to, to work on when he got down there. And I wonder if that plays into it, because, I mean, one thing about Abrams, you know, weight is not a concern with him. It, maybe it's a concern in the opposite direction. Maybe he has to put on some weight, but like he is fleet of foot. He's athletic. And, you know, that can translate into range. By the way, I'm guessing a lot of people listening know this, but it is C.J. Abrams who leads all Nationals players in war per baseball reference on the season. Abrams coming into Sunday was at 3.5 war per baseball reference on the year. Lane Thomas was number two at 3.4. And if you break down the Abrams war, 1.3 defensive war on the season, he really is having a good season. You know, at times it maybe hasn't felt like it, but you just talked about how every game it feels like he's doing something impressive defensively. I think you can get thrown off because if you're just looking at box scores, he does commit some errors, but that's not the way to judge someone defensively. You know, the offense has been up and down this year, but a great July is having a very good September. And yeah, like, 
if I would have told you going into this season, the number one Nats position player at the end of the season in terms of war will be C.J. Abrams, I think every Nats fan would have said, sign me up for that. And it's playing out that way. It's looking like he's going to end up doing that. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely. You wanted one of your young rising stars to be the one to do that. Nothing against Lane Thomas, who I think is still part of the future as well. But C.J. Abrams has the higher ceiling and obviously one of the prime players acquired in the Juan Soto trade. You want him to live up to it. I mean, think back to opening day, three errors against the same Braves team. And they weren't just errors. They were like some cover your eyes airs like, oh my God, is he spooked out there? Is this guy ever going to be able to play a legitimate shortstop for you? And the pitch, swing and a chopping ground ball toward the middle. Abrams to his left, has it almost behind the bag at second. High throw and off the bag came Smith to get it. What he's gone from since that day to now, I think is tremendous. And, you know, I know there's a lot of numbers and metrics to look at defensive improvement. I'm going to throw out the old eye test, which I know you love so much. Just watching him every day, the footwork has been fantastic, the jumps, just the technique that he's showing out there. A lot of these really good plays he's making, they don't look sometimes as tough as they are because he's putting himself in such a good position to make the plays. That's ultimately what you want from a a top shortstop. I've been really impressed, and I think people with the organization are really impressed with the progress he's made there. Well, C.J. Abrams, an exciting young position player for the Nats. So is Jacob Young. It's hard to know exactly what the Nats have in Jacob Young. It's hard to know exactly what to think about where the uh, Jacob Young experience is going. But Young, in a lot of ways, put on a show in game one of this doubleheader, the 3-2 win on Sunday afternoon. He is the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for two with a hustle RBI double, an RBI infield single, and a hit by pitch. He's another guy who you can get some real joy out of just in terms of watching him play the field. But Young in an ads two-run second on Sunday afternoon, a one-out, bases-loaded RBI infield single off the glove of the Braves starting pitcher, Alan Winans, uh, to tie the game at one. And Young in an ads one-run sixth, a two-out RBI hustle double off Braves second baseman, Ozzie Albies, and into left center field. This guy was hitting balls off Braves players all over the place in this game one of the doubleheader. But, you know, we've talked about this with Jacob Young. There is an excitement with him. There is like an entertainment value in watching him. He does things that do kind of perk you up when you're watching these Nats games. And what I like is that he can contribute in a lot of different ways. Defense, he gets great jumps on balls. I mean, tracking down that Acuna ball in deep left center, it was fantastic and right up there with any of the elite center fielders we've seen over here through the years. So there's that. Now the pitch blasted to left center field. This is trouble. Young chasing back. He leaps and he makes the catch on the warning track and bangs into the wall. The ability at the plate to, you know, beat out a little dribbler in the infield and do something with that to then to steal bases. And when he does get the ball to the outfield to turn what would be a single for most hitters into a double. These are exciting things. These are things that can contribute and have value to a team. You know, it's a limited sample, so it's hard to really know what we're talking about here. But I do feel like at minimum, he's showing that he is a gifted defensive center fielder in the big leagues and a really good base runner at this level. It's just a question of can he hit enough And I feel like we've had this conversation with more than a few center fielders who have worn the Nationals uniform in the last five, six years. There are a lot of these guys who fit this same description. Some of them have panned out more than others. Some of them have been busts. I don't know where he fits into that, but I do know that there's been enough there 
that it makes you say, let's see some more of this and really ultimately find out, can he hit at this level enough to justify keeping him because of all those other skills that he has? Yeah. I mean, going into next season, right? We're all going to be on Dylan Cruz watch, James Wood watch, but presumably those guys are not going to be beginning the season at the major league level. So, you know, I guess we'll see where things stand with Victor Robles. He's become kind of this forgotten man. But you would think that Jacob Young has a shot at being the Nats opening day center fielder next season, right? Yeah, I think so. And probably the at the expense of a Victor Robles, who that's a fascinating question. They have a club option on him for next year. We forget about this because it's been so long since he played, but he was actually playing really well. Some of the best we've seen from him, certainly since his rookie year in 2019. But you miss essentially five months with a back injury. How confident are you that he's going to come back, number one, to be healthy, but number two, that he's going to pick up where he left off all the way back in April? We just don't know that for sure. And if you have somebody else who profiles in a lot of similar ways in terms of the defensive ability, the base running, and has a chance to be a a decent enough hitter and bat at the bottom of your lineup, I could very easily see them saying, "Eh, you know what, Victor, thank you, but we're ready to move on to somebody else, knowing, as you just said, that there's another crop of outfielders, including some center fielders who should be ready at some point in 2024, maybe the answer is give Jacob Young the first crack at it on opening day, see how he handles it, and in the meantime, wait for the other guys to come up, and either he retains that spot eventually, or he cedes it to one of the others. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfis. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Make Walters your spot for this NFL season. All indoor TVs are preset and are first come, first serve. They're proud to show every NFL game every week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. When it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. <laughs> the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Long hold, one-two from Adol. Swing a long drive right center field. Way back, Thomas looking up, and this one is high off the top of the wall. Racing around third, Riley coming home. Abrams fires to the plate, but it hits the side of the mound. No one's backing up home. Adone wasn't there. And so over to third goes Olsen. It's a 3-1 Nationals lead. And Olsen ends up at third as Abrams' throw hit the side of the mound and goes to the backstop. Well, we've covered the uh, majority of the bright spots for the Nats in their doubleheader split with the Braves on Sunday. We are going to at least mention some of the negatives so, Johan Adone was the Nats starting pitcher for the 8-5 loss in Game 2 of the doubleheader, the Sunday evening game, and it was another rough outing for Adone. Four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits, a two-run homer, three doubles, and a single. He issued four walks and a wild pitch. Did have five strikeouts, but he over his four and two-thirds innings threw 88 pitches, 56 strikes versus 32 balls. This installment of the Nats Chat podcast is for Monday, September 25th. It was on August 25th that the Nats had a 7-4 win at the Miami Marlins. That was the second of the two flirtations of Yohan Adone with a no-hitter this season. He in the game ultimately tossed six scoreless innings. He, since that outing, basically has fallen apart. He has had one good outing since then, and it's not just that he has been bad in these outings. He's basically allowing a run per inning over these outings. I don't think anyone was expecting, you know, Cy Young Award caliber excellence from Yohan Adone down the stretch of this season. But especially off the two flirtations with the no-hitters, it would have been nice to have seen just a few more good outings because it would be nice to say, hey, Yohan Adone can be a part of this Nats rotation next season. With what we've seen down the stretch here, especially in this month of September, I think it's getting harder and harder to work up the appetite for that because, you know, we saw this last season in his time in the rotation, him struggling. And now this season, we're seeing a lot of what we saw last season. It's not just bad. It's quite bad what we're getting from Adon here. Yeah. And the irony is that his first three innings in this game, I thought were really good and looking like what we saw from him in those couple of games where he flirted with no hitters. He was aggressive. He was going right after some of Atlanta's best hitters. Efficient, 41 pitches through three innings. And then he gets to the fourth, and the Nats had just given him a lead, 3 nothing. 
and he starts the inning with a walk and then an RBI double. He gets two strikeouts, so he's very close to getting out of that with very minimal damage. And then he just let it fall apart. Double, two-run homer, walk. And if you heard Davey Martinez's postgame remarks to us, I thought it was notable that he kind of called out Adone and Cabert Ruiz to an extent for their pitch selection that inning. He felt like this is the second time through the order. They're facing them now in the fourth inning. He felt like they became way too heavy on curveballs and change-ups, and he's falling behind in the count. Instead of sticking with what worked for him in that first time through, which was his fastball, which he was locating effectively and getting ahead in the count. He said, your teammates give you a lead, a 3-0 lead. That's now a shutdown inning. Go be aggressive and go after them instead of messing around with off-speed stuff. And I thought that was pretty notable for the manager to say that. And I think some of that falls on the catcher calling those pitches. It's funny because Jackson Rutledge had some similar issues in the first game. Falling behind in the count, a lot of 2-0, 3-0, but he got through it, and you didn't hear that criticism. And with Adone, you definitely heard it either because of the results as what they were or maybe just because of the process of how he went about it. Here's what I don't understand, though. I mean, Davey Martinez is the manager. He's in the dugout. He's done this before. After games, talk about how he wasn't happy with a pitcher's pitch selection. Why can't he communicate in-game to the pitcher and or catcher, hey, do this, don't do that, start doing this, stop doing that? Why doesn't that happen? I don't know the answer to that. You see Jim Hickey go out to the mound for visits, and you would presume that something like that is a message they want to convey. Maybe it's being conveyed and it's just not being followed. Not watching it close enough, I don't know if he was shaking off signs a lot or if that was just straight up what Ruiz was giving him. I don't know, or maybe that's a conversation they have at the end of an inning, and you know, by that point it was too late. I'm not sure, but you're right. We have heard of the last few years times when Davey will say, we really wanted him to throw more change-ups, and he didn't do that, or we want to be aggressive, throw more fastballs, and they don't do that. There is something missing there, whether these are things that you just expect more from your catcher to pick up on, or if not, something that a manager and a pitching coach have to be more proactive at getting across. I do think it is an issue for them and something we've seen come up more than once. Yeah, and I would hate for when the Nats are good again, if they're playing a big game, things go awry because the catcher and the pitcher are making bad pitch calls when the manager is saying, no, you need to do more of this. You got to be able to convey that in game, you know, in the middle of the inning, like somehow communicate that. Like maybe there's a code word or, you know, maybe you just do a Jim Hickey visit to the mound, something. But I, I don't really buy that as acceptable of well, they were doing things I didn't want them to do. Well, you're the manager, you know, make them do what you want them to do. I mean, come on. All right. Another negative here is Kyle Finnegan. You know, we we talked earlier about are the Nats looking forward to the end of the season, still invested in the season. I would think that Kyle Finnegan is looking forward to the end of this season. His season is not ending well. So Finnegan in the 3-2 win on Sunday afternoon, game one of the doubleheader, did get the save, but he allowed a run in the top of the ninth. He gave up a two-out first pitch, broken bat solo home run by Sean Murphy to left center field to cut the Nats lead to 3-2. It's not often that you see a broken bat home run, but Kyle Finnegan now has allowed at least one earned run in nine of his last 14 appearances. It just has not gone well for him here. He's had an overall good season. I hate to see what has been an overall good season for him end in this negative way. Yeah, and the problem is that when it's all said and done, we look at his baseball reference page over the winter and even in the future, you're going to say, eh, that was an okay season, but nothing that great. And it's not fair because for like five months, he was outstanding for them. But the way he started the year, that first week when there were a couple of really ugly outings and the way he's finishing it, 
it is absolutely altering the totals. Is worn down probably? Yes. But again, I talked about this earlier with some of these young players, they need to learn how to finish a six-month season. If Kyle Finnegan, who you've had opportunities to trade the last two summers, and you haven't because you believe he can be a part of a winning bullpen here in the next few years, he's got to show that he can still be effective all the way through September and ideally through October as well. And this has happened to him a couple of times now in the last few years. So whether it's laying off him earlier in the year, giving him a break, maybe he's just a guy who's better off with 50 appearances than 60, whatever that is, this is something he's got to get better at because it is becoming a little bit of a pattern where we see in September, he's not the same pitcher and you know it's not costing them meaningful games right now, but someday soon it could cost them meaningful games. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a pennant race, I don't think Finnegan's a guy you want as your closer. He can be part of your bullpen, but with the way his seasons have gone, I think you'd have to rethink you know, whether you want him uh, as your top reliever. So the Nats get their first scheduled off day in what feels like about nine months on Monday, although they did have an off day on Saturday due to the rainout. And then comes a two-game series at the American League leading Orioles. Game one, Tuesday night, 6.35. Game two, Wednesday night, 6.35. The Orioles in this series will be throwing the guys who have been their two best starting pitchers later. Kyle Bradish will be pitching game one. Grayson Rodriguez will be pitching game two. The O's have clinched a playoff spot, have not clinched the American League East, but are getting closer to doing that. The magic number on the Tampa Bay Rays is at three. The Nats have not officially announced starters for this series, but just kind of by process of elimination, seems pretty apparent who those guys will be, right? Yeah, unless there's some surprise out there. I mean, we know that Jake Irvin is now on the IL and done with an ankle injury. We know Mackenzie Gore was shut down a while back, and we saw who pitched over the weekend, so they're not available yet. So it would seem like it's Josiah Gray and Trevor Williams in one order or the other. I think we're going to find out on Monday for sure what the plan is there, and then we'll probably see the same matchups next week in in Atlanta that we saw this weekend. So that would be Corbin, Adone, and Rutledge for the final series of the regular season. You mentioned the position the Orioles are in, magic number of three. That means there is a chance they clinch the AL East against the Nationals. They win twice, Tampa Bay loses once, or they win once, Tampa Bay loses twice. There it is. I don't know that for a majority of the players on the Nationals that this matters that much to them. They don't know the Orioles that well. Most of them aren't around here. They haven't been here that long. They don't really see this as a rivalry or anything more significant than any other series they might play. I do know there are people with the Nationals organizationally who would really rather not be a part of that. Uh, They respect the Orioles, what they've done this year, but I would have to imagine that they would much rather Baltimore wait until the weekend to clinch the division and not do it at the Nationals' expense on Wednesday night. Yes. I don't think that Mark Lerner and John Angelos will be watching these games together in the same suite. Uh, I would venture to say that that'll be the case. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. You can also uh, visit our website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Do not forget the second annual Nats Chat Podcast party is coming up. Friday evening, October 13th at 6.30 at the home base of the Nats Chat Podcast. Walters, right by 
Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Now the pitch. Swinging a ground ball past the mound, deflected by the pitcher. It'll be picked up with the shortstop having no play. And it'll be a base hit deflected off the glove of the pitcher Winans. And Jacob Young helps the Nationals tie this game.